Lord, on a July 4th weekend, I think of troops, American troops abroad, especially in Iraq and Afghanistan. And Lord, those who are representing us in the world, we pray for their safety. We pray for your protection on them. Lord, most of all, we pray that they come to know you if they don't, as their Savior, as their ultimate commander-in-chief. We want to commit ourselves in this time to you now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I feel like I should be teaching from the Sermon on the Mount out here on the Langhofer Hill, but we're not. Uh, we're not in Kings this morning. My teaching this morning, a little bit like the meal, it's a potluck, it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Sometimes, if you guys teach events, you know, if you teach Father's Day, you've got to say something about fathers. And if you teach Mother's Day, you've got to say something about mothers. I Sometimes I feel a little saddled if I'm teaching an event holiday because you want to come up with something that's satisfying. On the 4th of July weekend, the reason we're not in Kings, I just, I'm sharing with you guys a few things that I've prayed about and thought about related to our national holiday. It's three things that we'll go through briefly. By the way, I'm also keeping it short. You know, if you teach, everything you say is really valuable and you really need to share it with everybody else. And so at special events, I try and remind myself to make it short. So I promise I'll be short this morning. 229 years ago, though, would be the birthday of our nation. 229 years ago. You know, historically, that's not much time. It's kind of a blink. Or if you think of, of places like Rome, 229 years isn't even a very long lifespan for a nation, but it's certainly significant, and we've got much to be thankful for. The first of the three things I want to talk to you about this morning is this issue of thankfulness. Thankfulness. On the 4th of July, this weekend, as you're seeing the fireworks tomorrow or whatever else is going on in your life, this issue of thankfulness. Let me read a couple of scriptures and make some comments. Psalm 92, verses 1 and 2 says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness by night. It is good to give thanks. Elsewhere it says about praise and believers or, or Old Testament saints that it's appropriate to give praise. It's like a coat that you put on and it fits you well. That's true for us about declaring God's praise or reflecting back to Him thanks for things He's done, things He's given us. 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says it this way, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and then in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In everything give thanks, this is God's will for you. I'm going to look at three areas of thankfulness or areas to be thankful in. You could think of others. The first, though, on a national holiday is, is, uh, may sound odd, but it's the most important, and that is thankfulness for spiritual blessings. If you're a Christian, no matter what happens to you in life, and no matter what country you live in on this planet or in the world, you have everything to be thankful for. If you lived the most impoverished life with the worst disease, under the most cruel of tyranny, if you're going to heaven you can rejoice and give thanks. Your spiritual blessings make anything else dwarfish in size. You can give thanks if you're a Christian. And just think about this for just a minute. Paul says in Ephesians 1 that if you're a Christian, you are now positioned in Christ. God says he looks at us and it's... Uh, you know, in the uh, New Testament, it sometimes looks back and you say something like Hebrews that, uh, that Aaron 
the high priest, that he paid tithes to Melchizedek. And it's odd. These guys were separated by a lot of time. Well, how can that happen? Well, Hebrews says, Aaron was in his father Abraham when he paid tithes to Melchizedek. He was there because he was in his father biologically, physically, physiologically. He was in his father when his father did something. Well, God looks at you and I just like Aaron, and he says, guys, you're in Christ. Christ is our Father spiritually, not just God the Father, but our life is derived from Christ. So in Ephesians, in a book of great theology about our position in Christ, it keeps using the phrase, in Christ. Well, one of the things it says in chapter 1 is, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. This is true for every Christian, no matter where we live around the world, what time we occupy in history, or how good or bad our life is, Paul says we can rejoice, and, I, and I'm advocating we give thanks because we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. You and I, no matter where we live, this is as good as it gets. We've got a future. We've got a hope. It's in Christ, and that's where we need to start. Whatever else is going on in life, we can always give thanks. You Think about Paul and his biography. Here was a guy who suffered a few hardships, and he's the one penning those words. In Thessalonians as well, rejoice always. This was the guy in shipwreck in prison. Pray without ceasing. This is the guy who lived it in Acts, you know, praying and singing at midnight in prisons. But to realize that no matter what else is going on in your life, this life is a vapor, it's brief, then it's over. And so whatever goes on in the short life, it's important, but it's dwarfed by eternity. And so if you're a Christian in Christ, you can give thanks because of all that you have in Christ. You and I, every Christian, will rule and reign with Jesus Christ forever. We'll occupy a new heaven and a new earth with Him. We'll sit at His Father's table. We'll see Him face to face, eye to eye. He who is the source of all life, all blessing, all glory. That's where we're going. So whatever else is going on in your life, you can start on July 4th weekend, by giving thanks, thanking God that you're in Christ and you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Anything that's Christ's, aside from His deity, that is, His essential nature as God, everything that He is or has is yours. By His doing, you're in Christ Jesus. Also, you can give thanks because of the age you and I live in. We're in what theologians like to call the age of the Spirit. That is, you remember before Pentecost, people believed and were saved, but they weren't given the Holy Spirit in the same way that we are today. Pentecost started the age of the Spirit. Think about Jewish life. Uh, You sin, and you know you've sinned, and what do you do? You take an animal, you go to the priest. He's a mediator between you and God. And you take the the critter that's going to be offered in your place. He's an intermediary also. And then the priest goes to the altar and there's these veils of separation between you and God. And somebody's got to die. Some blood's got to be shed to cover your sins. And and the priest goes for you. You can't go in straightway. And the priest can't go in straightway because of sin. But you know, lo and behold, the great sin offering, Jesus comes in the incarnation, dies for our sins, the ultimate sacrifice, and then goes back to heaven, evidence that the sacrifice is accepted, just like 
the angel in Manoah, when the smoke goes up from the offering, we know it's accepted. Jesus goes back to heaven. And like a tag team match, he sends the Spirit. In fact, if you remember in the upper room discourse, he said, it's better for you, it's to your advantage that I go. Why? Because I'll send the Spirit. You remember as long as Jesus was on the earth, he was limited just like you and I would be in space and time with a physical human body. So he says, I'm going to go back and I'm going to send the Spirit. Not limited by space and time. And so for every believer today, we get the Holy Spirit. We don't have to go to the temple. The temple, as it were, comes to us. Or the one who dwells in the temple comes to us. So we have in the day and the age we live in, as Christians in the church age, we have the Holy Spirit within us. This is no small thing. So July 4th weekend, thank God that you have the Holy Spirit, that you live in this age and this time. And again, just related to promises, you could live a very difficult life. And maybe this would be like thinking about a work week. You know, if you work an 8 to 5 Monday through Friday, work may be difficult. And so you think about the weekend. You think about Friday evening. It's not infrequent that on Monday I'm thinking about Friday evening. The inspections will be done. And I know come Friday evening, no matter what the week looked like, no matter how hot it was or what kind of work I had to to do, come Friday evening I was going to sit down at the table with the family, we'd all breathe a collective sigh of relief, and we'd go into the weekend together. Well, for Christians, we're heading into a weekend, and it lasts forever. And the work will be over, and the tears will be wiped away, and that's our future. Psalm 16 says that God has prepared for us joy and pleasures forevermore. It's the party that starts and never ends. It's the family gathering. Whatever you think of as the ultimate good time, that's what we've got going. So the weekend's coming. We're in the week. It's short, but the eternal weekend's coming. So spiritually, when you're thinking about July 4th weekend, start by giving thanks for spiritual blessings. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. You've got the Holy Spirit. And you've got promises that a God who can't lie is not going to renege on. Your future is eternal and glorious. The next one on thankfulness is related to our national blessings. Really, in the history of the world, there's never been a country like the United States. This country was populated. It was started by people who had a vision of, in their mind, in their words, starting a city on a hill. They fled England and northwestern Europe to come to a place where they could worship God freely. Those were the pilgrims and those who followed after them. And that was their dream. Uh, Reagan didn't coin this in history. The pilgrims talked about seeing this new land, what became the United States, as being a city on a hill, a place to worship God freely and a place that would be a light for the world related to the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Nationally, the inception of this country we live in, it's unique. There's never been anything like it. You know, if you look in the Caribbean, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, Haiti, this is, a, this is a, an aside, this is the flip side. The country was started by people who were Satan worshippers. They slaughtered a hog and dedicated the island to Satan. It's been the most impoverished place in the Western Hemisphere ever since. Our country, contrary, founded by people who believed in God were dedicating their lives and their descendants to this concept of a city on a hill. This place where God would be freely worshipped. That's our heritage. Those are the folks that started 
what we have now inherited. This is no small thing. Unique in the history of the world, the United States certainly is from its beginning. Also, if you think about it, the framework that they set up for us, the things that they set up for us that we still enjoy today, the Constitution and the legal framework, which our country still is under, is a blessing to us still today, 229 years later. It's, it's uh, probably, uh, it's not a hard argument to say that the founder's vision of our country has been chipped away and eroded over the years, certainly in the last decades especially. But the Constitution and the legal framework which they set up still serves very, very well. So our freedom to gather as Christians when we want and where we want, this is no small thing. This is a legacy they left. Or their knowledge of man, biblically, that man was evil, inherently. And so that if man was given too much power, any single man or any single group, too much power, they would be corrupted by that influence. So they divided the powers the best way they knew how. So we've got division of power in our legislatures nationally and, feder and uh, locally. This was shrewd. This was biblical. They were looking at man, seeing him as he is, as the Bible paints him. And so what they've left us, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the legal framework under which we live our lives, still blesses us today. This is no small thing. Countries around the world now emulate the United States, trying to come up with similar frameworks that will be a blessing to their population and not otherwise. This is no small thing. It's something that we need to be thankful for. The biggest thing in this, too, is just religious freedom. This was the deal for the folks who came over. It's that Christians would be able to worship God freely. And we do this today here. We meet in a school building, but we can meet on street corners. We can rent public facilities. You know, if you're born in other times or in other places, you couldn't imagine these kinds of liberties or freedoms. In fact, during the time that the New Testament was being written, you couldn't have imagined, depending on where you lived in the Roman Empire, these kinds of liberties. We take them for granted, but others have not. We, we are truly blessed by the legacy of the founders of the country in the Constitution, in the legal framework they set up for us. This is no small thing. Easy to take for granted, but no small thing. We have much to be thankful for indeed. The last thing, and I say for last, is thankfulness for material blessings. I say last because it is last. Remember Jesus talks to the church in uh, Revelation 3, Laodicea. And this was a church that was wealthy. By the standard of the day, they were wealthy. And they got something confused. They were materially wealthy, but they were spiritually bankrupt. And Jesus says to them, you think that in your material wealth you have real riches, but you don't. You're really poor, blind, and naked. You don't have what real wealth is all about. So material blessing, which we swim in in the United States, the material wealth we swim in is in God's economy. It's actually the least important. These are in order for a reason. The spiritual blessing is the most important. And on July 4th weekend, it's a great time to remember the legacy we have to be thankful for in the country we live in. And then last, and in proper order, the material blessing that we have. Now, I confess, I am a creature given to comfort. The older I get, I think the more this is true. So this is easy. If When I go through this list, this is real easy for me to think of things to be thankful for. Historically, too, put this in perspective. Uh, if you look in almanacs today, you'll see that the United States, I think, is still, per capita, we're the most productive nation in the world. We have more wealth 
than most other people in the world can think of. In fact, put this in perspective. You know, Paul said, as a Christian, if you had food and covering, shirt on your back, a roof over your head, you had enough to be content. Food and covering, that means contentment. Well, you know, we've got food and covering and, and then some. We've got enough to be content and a whole lot more. And if you think even of Solomon, the wealth he had, Solomon couldn't buy what you and I take for granted today. I mean, material wealth in your household and mine. Any, anyone in this country has wealth and privilege and therefore responsibility also just related to the economic material blessing we enjoy. It's amazing. The food supply you and I have, we'll eat here in just a little bit. Can you imagine? We can, you can go to the grocery store. You can buy fruits and vegetables from around the world. You can, you can go in and buy meats and specialty things and stuff from all over. We take it for granted that we go to Dillon's or Food for Less or whatever. But this is amazing. Historically, the abundance we have of food is without precedent. Without precedent. This is definitely something to be thankful for. Uh, air conditioning. When I go home on a hot day, I am thrilled to go into an air-conditioned house. I talked to a guy who worked for Westar the other day. I just said, keep it coming. I am thrilled to pay my utility bill. I don't, you know, whatever it is, I just paid. I think it was $130. If it was double that, I'd be thrilled. We, we, uh, we lose perspective. I'm thrilled to be cool on a hot day or to be warm on a cold day. You know what it's easy to do, though? It's easy to take the comfort for granted, and then we gritch about the cost or fuel today. I'm floored. I'm sorry, but $2.10 a gallon or whatever fuel is, I'm thrilled. I can go down the street and fuel up my vehicle and go any place I need to. And in these states, we're paying half, I think, what the Europeans do. I mean, I'm thinking, get a grip. You know, we complain about high fuel costs we're the most affluent society in the world and in the history of the world. The cost of gas is a small thing. Anyway, materially, we've got health, we've got food, we've got all kinds of things to be thankful for. Put this in perspective. Paul says if you've got food and a roof over your head or a shirt on your back, you're good to go. And I think take a little bit of an inventory. Just take a little bit of an inventory of the way we're blessed materially. We can be thankful. We should be thankful. We have a ton to be thankful for. So the first thing on July 4th weekend I want to say is be thankful. Before I forget on that topic too, thankfulness does a couple things. Thankfulness keeps things in perspective and it keeps us humble. When I'm thankful, I'm reassessing my world and what I've been given. That keeps things in perspective. What do I have that others don't? And I don't mean in a way to be envious, but I've been blessed with things many other people don't have. You know, you and I happen to be born here or live here. Folks, there's Christians that God loves no less than you and I that don't have a fraction of what you and I enjoy materially. Not a fraction. There are Christians in North Africa who are persecuted every day for Christ's sake, and God doesn't love them any less than he loves you and I. Thankfulness keeps things in perspective. Lord, thanks. I realize that I could have been born elsewhere or in another time. Thank you for the blessings you've given me. And humility, you know, is to remember who we are and what we are and what we're not. 
When I'm thankful, I'm reminded that I'm a creature, I'm not God. And I'm thanking my Creator and my Redeemer for the things He's done for me and for the things He's given me. Humility, a proper assessment of who I am, the place and time I occupy. So thankfulness is an incredibly important thing, especially on Fourth of July weekend. The second thing I want to talk about is work. Work. Too much is given, much is required. We've been given much. And related to work and Fourth of July, the nation's birthday, let me start with this from Paul. Paul said in First Timothy 2, First of all, this is also is in a series of order of importance in my mind. First of all, first of all, first of all, I urge that entreaties, prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Paul's talking to Timothy for the church at Ephesus and he says, guys, first of all, pray. God has blessed us. We've got much to be thankful for, but he doesn't expect us to sit on our heels and just basically drink it all in. We've got work to do. We've been given much. We're responsible for much. And we'll answer for much. And we have work to do. And the most important work you and I can do as Christians, and especially Christian citizens of the United States, is to pray. It's to pray. Now, many of us give lip service to this idea of pray, and we tend to say to people, I will pray for you. I've said this before. I'm more impressed when someone says, I prayed, past tense, for you. If you say, I'll pray for you, Mike, it sounds nice, but you may and you may not. When you say, I prayed for you, I'm impressed. That, That gives me confidence. God wants us to be involved in what he's doing, and we can be involved if in no other way, no matter where we live, through prayer. And God tells us through Paul, pray for those in authority. There's a benefit to praying for those in authority. We may lead a tranquil and quiet life. Pray for those in authority. Don't start complaining. In fact, don't even call your legislator, though we're going to talk about that in a minute or whatever. Before anything else you do, if you notice again, first of all, this is where you start, you pray. So your work in mind starts as citizens in prayer. Not any place else, it starts in prayer. I don't know if you've seen this in the lives of people around you, but sometimes maybe you face a conflict or a difficulty that seems impossible to resolve. And so eventually you've thought about it, you've worked it out in your mind, you can't resolve it, and so what do you finally do? You pray, and then you see something happen and change, and it's resolved. And, you know, Proverbs talks about kings and these people with the ultimate of human power and what does it say in God's hand that king's will his mind his heart his decisions they're like water in God's hands it's just like God can go and he tips it It falls off this way it falls off that way when you and I pray we're going to the seat of all power and all authority and God can move in ways you and I can't he moves in ways we can't conceive or think of so we're we are utilizing our ultimate responsibility and power in that sense when we pray. We go to God in prayer. This is the first place to start in our work. And by the way, at a time when you have friends and relatives, co-workers maybe, who are in harm's way in one sphere of the world or another in the military, that's a good thing to do to pray for them too, isn't it? I mean, they're in a place, perhaps, where you can't communicate with them directly. You certainly can't get in front of them and protect them. 
But you can pray for them. You can pray for them. In our work on the earth, we want to start with prayer. Now, related to citizens, thinking again of where we live and when we live in the United States, the other thing related to work, I would argue, is to vote. This isn't a time to vote right now, but it is to vote. We live in a republic. We have a responsibility and a privilege to vote. And so that means when elections come up as Christians, we should be voting, informed voting, making ourselves aware of the issues and the candidates, and then voting for the things and the people that we believe most closely reflect God's values. To vote. We should vote. We don't start with politics. I say this very intentionally. Many of us, we get mad. We make a phone call or we write a letter. We complain to somebody else. But that's not where we're to start. Start with prayer. Don't stop there. Vote. The other thing you can do is you can communicate with your representatives. We have a representative form of government. And politicians do listen to their constituents. And when constituents give phone calls and emails and letters saying, this is the way I want you to vote, it carries weight. So on important issues, Christians should be sounding off to their elected officials to say, this is the way I feel about the issue and I'm asking you to vote or take a position in this manner. Whether they do or not, we don't ultimately control that, but we should. That's being an effective citizen of heaven and earth to pray and then to talk to those who represent you. Another thing that we need to do is pay taxes. No laughs. No smiles. Why is that? This is biblical, right? If you're a Christian, Jesus says, pay taxes to whom taxes are due. Paul says to show respect and to give to those who are in authority what is their due. Taxes, taxes, tribute, whatever. Uh, this shit, we should be able to do this and not feel bad about it. Even if they're higher than you want to pay or whatever, and they go higher, of course, every year, uh, Jesus says pay taxes. Now, if you're a Christian, you don't belong to yourself. You've been bought with a price. Your money isn't yours. It's God. So when you and I pay taxes, we're honoring the Lord. We're doing what he's commanded us to do. I'm not telling you to pay more taxes than you need to. But you should pay your taxes. We shouldn't be cheating on our taxes. We should be paying taxes. And in doing so, we're honoring the Lord. Also, as citizens in the states, uh, I think we need to go about the work that God gives us. And I'm talking here vocational, career, work at home, interaction with neighbors. We need to have it in our mind that we're going to be a blessing to those around us. Uh, it's easy to fall into ruts. Uh, maybe you found this. If folks you work with complain, you start developing a complaining attitude. Uh, we shouldn't. As those who are spiritually blessed, living in a time in which we're materially blessed, we should go into work, career, interaction with family, friends, neighbors, whatever, seeking to be a blessing. We belong to Christ. We know where we're going. We're blessed in tons of ways. We should turn around and be a blessing to those folks we're interacting with. And most especially, you do this in a number of ways, certainly, but it certainly includes also communicating to the gospel with those folks we rub shoulders with. You know, we could be tremendous employees and we could be nice people. By the way, the Bible never tells Christians to be nice. Sometimes that's our highest goal. We want to be thought of as nice people. That's not a biblical goal. 
Uh, we should bless others, though, and the best thing we can do with them, for them if they're not a Christian is to communicate the gospel. That's the best thing that could ever happen to them is to trust in Christ, both here and for the future. But whatever our sphere of influence and cooperation is day to day, you and I should seek to be a blessing to others, to those around us. And included in that, we should be communicating the gospel. The last thing I want to mention is uh, to set your mind on things above. To set your mind on things above. This is out of Colossians 3, and that's, I'll close with that passage in a minute. But, you know, because we have it so good, now there's, there's tears mixed with everybody, sorrow mixed with joy for all of us. But we have it so good in our life, typically, that it might be easy to forget that heaven is our home, not earth. Heaven is our home, not earth. And so Paul, with that in mind, Paul says, set your mind and your affections on things above, not on things that are on the earth. We live in Kansas, and Dorothy's phrase at the end of the movie, The Wizard of Oz, is a good catchphrase for us. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. This is a nice place to travel through, but it's not home. Heaven is our home. Think of Jesus' words in John 14. In fact, I'd argue that it's only as we know where our real home is that we're actually the best citizens in whatever country we live in. Jesus said in John 14, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again. I'll receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. You know, in the Middle East, in the time in which Jesus lived, if a guy fancy was fixed on little sweet Susie down the street, he talked to his folks, they went and talked to her folks, they arranged the wedding. And when Junior knew that Susie was going to be his and the wedding date was set, what did he do? He went back to Dad's house and he put on the addition. For them, the generations lived in the same place. This wasn't a bad thing. So he made the bridal chamber. Junior went home and he built on to Dad's existing house. And when the building was done before the wedding date, they all knew that the bride, Susie, is going to come with Junior and she's going to live in his dad's house with him. And that's exactly the picture here. Jesus says, we're betrothed. Now I'm going back to my dad's house. And I've got a little remodeling to accommodate. I've got a few additions to throw on to Dad's mansion. And when the job's done, I'm going to come back and I'm going to pick you. We'll go to that wedding feast and I'm bringing you back to my dad's house because the improvements are made and I'm ready to start my family, as it were. So Jesus says to his intimate friends here, his disciples, I'm going, but the place I'm going, I'm making an expansion and you'll be with me there. I'll come back. I'll take you home. That's our home. It's heaven. It's not here. It's easy to get, I think, too comfortable. Sometimes life's good for us. Life's good for all of us here. And it's easy to get comfortable or complacent and forget this this is temporary. This is sort of slumming it too. You know, when we get to heaven, when we're freed from our sinful nature, when we see Christ as He is, see Him in the glory that is His and the Father's presence, well, the thought of coming back to earth to live these lives, we'd understand it's a step down. 
It's a step way down. Heaven's our home. Where we're going is far better than what we have here. We need to remember that if we're going to be actually good citizens. You know, we are like folks with dual citizenship. Paul had dual citizenship. He was a Jew by birth, but he was also a Roman citizen. And he shrewdly used citizenship in both spheres to the advantage of the gospel. But he knew where his home really was. You remember in Philippians what he says? I'm ready to depart and be with Christ. It's far better. I'd like to go home, he says. But I know that if I hang around, it'll be fruitful service for you. So I think that's what the Lord's going to do. But he understood, in fact, he says later in Philippians 3, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. That's our true country. Our true citizenship is in heaven. He says, from whence we're eagerly awaiting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the thought is, heaven's my home. That's my country. And I'm waiting for Christ's return. And while I wait, before he comes... I'm doing the things he's given me to do down here. That's the picture. So to remember that we're like Paul, we have dual citizenship. And as he says in 2 Corinthians also, we're this ambassador. Heaven's our home. We're a citizen, dual citizenship of the United States here. You know, on a normal Sunday morning with some other folks who are normally here, we wouldn't all be U.S. citizens. We'd be citizens from China, Taiwan, and other far-flung corners of the world. And you know what? The citizenship in all of those, it's dual citizenship. As a Christian, whatever country God has placed us in, whatever country we happen to call our temporary home, we're dual citizens, citizen of heaven first, and then representatives, ambassadors for Christ in the place he's called us to live. So on July 4th weekend, when you see the fireworks or you eat the good food or you gather with family and friends, Remember that as good as life on earth gets, this isn't our home. We're going to a place that's far better, to a time, eternity, that's far better. No tears, the weekend party that begins and never ends. That's what we're going to. And we need to remember, I've said this many times, God is not an American. And the United States is not, in that sense, His country. Remember what Jesus is doing. He's saving a people from every tribe, tongue, race, kindred. Jesus is, in that sense, an internationalist. And though he has uniquely blessed the United States, his work is much bigger than our country or our time. No, because he's calling people from every place around the world to his home. He's not content with simply having Americans in his home. He's pulling people from all over the world, into his family and into his home. So while we give thanks, and appropriately so, for the unique work God has done in the United States and the unique blessings we have because of the time and the place we live, remember, this is just temporary. We're slumming it for a short while. We're working, we're giving thanks, and we're representing Christ's cause in the United States at this time. Let me close with a passage out of Colossians 3. Paul says this. This is the eternal perspective. As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, 
bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And then beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, or wherever you live, or whatever whatever place you occupy, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Father, on July 4th weekend, when we give you thanks and praise for the unique work you've accomplished and are still at work in, Lord, in the United States of America. Father, we thank you, more importantly, for salvation in your Son, the Lord Jesus. Lord, we want to remind ourselves to be thankful for the spiritual blessings you've promised us and given us and seating us with Christ as good as home already, Lord, in your Son. Father, help us to be appropriately humble and thankful for you first, what you've done, and the many varied multitude of ways you've blessed us. Lord, help us to remember that we're your ambassadors and that we have work to accomplish. And Lord, help us to see the resources, the time, the energy, the money, the stature, the influence, all the things you give us, Lord, that we're responsible, that we'll give an accounting of those to you, and that you've given us work as well as blessing. Lord, help us to faithfully discharge the work the tasks you've given to each one of us. And Father, especially thanks that our home is in a place that will never see corruption. Lord, there will be no tears. There's no stain of sin. There's no fear. Lord, thanks that we will enter eternity, that weekend when the labors of this life are over, when we see you face to face. Lord, when we sit down at your table, Lord, where pleasures and joy last, forevermore. Thanks for the taste of heaven, Lord, we have in the time and the place you've given us here. And Father, thanks that the fulfillment of your promises is as certain as the blessings we enjoy today. In Jesus' name, amen.